So we've been talking about this idea of soul care now for, this is our sixth week, and hopefully it's been helpful to you. If nothing else, maybe it's raised the awareness of this part of you that we call the soul. And Jesus said it's of utmost importance, right? He said you can gain everything, but if you lose your soul, you've really lost everything. And so we've tried to raise some awareness of the soul, but also tried to raise some awareness in you of what's going on inside your soul. And we've given you a little handout uh, every week in the back of your notes that just lists some of the things that you might be feeling or experiencing inside your soul. Sometimes we look at that list and we land too often on the left side of that list, don't we? And all those things that show up there, and we look over at the right side of that list and it's just like, oh, if only... I could just experience that in my life. And so what we've been trying to do for the last several weeks is say, here's some simple ideas of soul practices that you can try that will hopefully move you from the right, or excuse me, yeah, from the left to the right. And hopefully you've given some of these things a try. And maybe you've been able to do some test drives. And so we look at those conditions like dryness and we say, hey, let's try soul hydration. And really connecting with God. And we can look at other issues too, like exhaustion. And we can look at Sabbath and rest. And we can look at stress. And we can look at the ideas of slowing and silence and solitude and simplicity. And we can look at pain and injury. And last week we talked about this idea of solace or comfort. And I feel like when we get done with these though, as we get to the end of the morning, I'm like just kind of like starting to, everybody's starting to get with me and then we're out of time. And so I just want to beg you to take this and explore it further after we're done here. And if you miss some weeks, you can go back and pick it up on the podcast, which is on the website, or you can pick it up also off of iTunes. But to actually put into practice what we're talking about and see what happens. Simple ideas, some of them, that I think can have huge impact on what's going on in your soul. And so we keep asking that question, how is your soul today? How is your soul today? What is the condition that it's in? Are you experiencing, and this is the new direction we're going here, feelings of like discontent or restlessness or edginess or, or being a little bit antsy or, or kind of like, um, uneasy? Do you ever get that way? Where it's like you got an itch inside you and you just want to scratch it? And like you get up and you're like, there's nothing really wrong except something's just kind of got you a little bit off kilter. It's kind of like I would call it like, you know, cabin fever of the soul. It's sometimes how it feels on the inside. The question is, why do we feel that way and what can we do about it? Well, let me just get it out there right at the very beginning here today. Why we feel that way and what we can do about it. The reason that we feel that way is because what we think life should be like doesn't quite match up with the way that life is. And so we want them to be a perfect match, but I have this ideal or these expectations over here, and I have my reality over here, and it just doesn't quite fit together the way that it should. And so we feel that tension or we feel that stress sometimes inside of us. Something's a little bit out of whack and not quite right. It's like it's a little bit out of alignment. It's like when your car goes down the road and it's a little bit keeps pulling one way or maybe it gets a little shake. It's kind of like we have a shimmy in our soul, isn't it? 
when we feel that way, what's the issue? We're out of sync. Because we're supposed to be one way, or we think it's supposed to be one way, and we feel this way, or it is this way, and it doesn't quite match up, because it doesn't quite sync up. Now, sync comes from the word synchronization. And originally, that word was used to talk about time issues. So we need to synchronize our watches. You know, you do that when you go to the mall. Everybody, let's make sure we get our watches synchronized. And uh, so we all meet back at the same time. Or maybe you're even working on a project where the timing is, is extremely important. So everybody needs to make sure they get it synchronized. And it was a timing issue. But in our society today, we've taken that word and we've expanded it, haven't we? And we don't even say synchronized anymore. We just say sync. And the idea is we need to get one thing synced or matched or congruent with the other thing. And so that word's expanded. We talk about relationships, you know, um, with friends. We just, we, we just couldn't quite get synced. You know, we couldn't quite get on the, on the same page. Or we um, talk about, you know, we watch a, a video in the sound, you know, when the, the voices are, or the mouths going and the words are a little bit behind it. Doesn't that drive you crazy? Because it's not synced up. And that's actually a good, a pretty good demonstration of what we find. Even in my car, I mean, it, I have the word sync right on my dashboard. Because when I get in my car, my phone automatically matches up to my car so that I can have hands free. So if you ever call me in the car, I can talk to you without using my hands. Sounds like I'm a million miles away, but you know, you're still talking to me. We get this idea of sync. Well, anybody ever done any synchronized swimming? I, I had a, a, a girl in, at Notre Dame when we were doing college ministry there who was into synchronized ice skating. And uh, they would compete in teams of like eight on the ice at the same time and do this. But the, high, the whole idea, it's not that hard to get our, our heads around the idea, but how does it relate to soul care? Well, here is how it relates, okay? The reason that we struggle with friction or, or with a lack of alignment is because who God made us to be and who we are don't quite match up. And if we want to experience more peace or more restfulness in our soul or just that sense that everything's okay and that calmness, what we've got to do is we've got to get synced up in our soul so that who we are and who God made us to be look the exact same. So that's the question this morning. Who did God make you to be? That's really not that hard a question to answer. And then we're going to take a second question, though. What did God make you to do? And maybe that's a little bit tougher question to deal with this morning. But we want to explore both of those because that's going to give us some idea of how we can experience this soul sinking. And that's not a biblical term. That's one I made up, okay? But we want to find synchronization in our soul of who we are and who God made us to be. So we're going to go all the way back to the very beginning. Genesis chapter 1, in verse number 26, God said this, Let's make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And we see this, that man and woman were created to be image bearers. That is our 
That was Adam and Eve's. That was their original purpose. They were supposed to look like God and to actually reflect God. And as men and as women ourselves, that is our ultimate purpose. We are supposed to look like God. We are supposed to reflect God. People should be able to look at us and say, oh, that's what God is like. And so the more that we can act like God, or the more that we can act like what God tells us in His Word, the more we're going to line up with who He wants us to be. goes on in Genesis chapter 2, verse number 15, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden, to work and to take care of it. Let me read that verse again. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden. And you get this idea of God putting him in the garden. The original language there, much would have a better word might have been placed or gently set. So, so God took the man and the woman and he gently set them in a very restful way in the garden. That gives us a little picture of how God wants to take care of our souls, doesn't it? And he put them in the garden to work it and to take care of it. And that's probably not the best translation of that passage. And it's a hard translation for the translators to work with because the pronoun usage switches from masculine to feminine. It gets a little confusing. But the idea is, in fact, it could be translated this way even better. He put them in the garden to worship and to obey. Now, work was going to be a part of that worship. But he put them in that garden so that he could have that relationship with them where they would worship him. Part of that worship would be through obedience to him. So that means this, that men and women were created to be worshipers. And so that's us. First of all, we're supposed to be image bearers. And the better we do at bearing God's image and looking like God, the more matched up we're going to be. Secondly, though, the better that we do at worshiping, which includes obedience, the better we're going to be matched up there. So on a very basic level, if you want to have your soul synced, give attention to those two things. How much is my life lined up with the character of God? And how much is my life lined up and engaged in worshiping? And that covers the B side of it. Who am I supposed to be? A a God image bearer. What am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to worship and to obey. And if we can get those two things right, we're going to be in sync. Now, I mention those two things for several reasons. First of all, this demonstrates to us the importance of the spiritual in our lives. We were created first and foremost as spiritual beings. We were made, the first thing we're told is in God's image. God is a spirit And when we talk about religion, a lot of times we talk about it in terms of spirituality. We are spiritual beings at our core. So the more attention we give to the spiritual, the more likely we are to line up and to sink. And if you don't have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ in your life, not to be discouraging, but you really have no hope of getting yourself completely in sync. And you're always going to live with that gnawing sense somewhere that it's not quite right. Because our being is spiritual from the very start. It also tells us that when we drift from being an image bearer of God, so when we get off doing our own things or or get into sinful practices or get just ignoring whatever the Bible says, we're automatically going to get out of sync. 
Because we are stepping away from our purpose that we were created. And so when we feel this dissonance or when we feel this disconnection, sometimes we need to step back and say, well, what am I doing in my life? Now, here's what we do too many times. I sense that I'm doing something wrong and I sense that it's out of whack. But instead of adjusting myself to the image of God, what I do is I change my belief system to adjust to me. And I feel a little bit better, but it still doesn't address that core issue. And we have that a lot in our world. I'm just going to adjust what I believe. Then I don't have to feel bad about how I'm acting. And that will take care of that dissonance inside of me. No, it won't. It'll make you feel better temporarily, but it's never going to completely solve that issue. The third thing I would say from this is that when we're worshipers, that's when we make God our priority, when we make praise a part of our lives, when our obedience defines who we are, we are going to experience more soul rest. And so that answers the question, well, what are we supposed to be? I'm supposed to be an image bearer. What am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to be a worshiper. But let's take that a little bit further, all right? The man and the woman and everyone else after them, that would be you, that would be me, were created uniquely. We're told, first of all, that they were made in God's image, so they're spiritual. But then it says they were made male and female. So we're immediately addressed with this idea that they were alike, but yet they were different. And that different is good. And as being alike, and as we are all alike, we pursue those purposes of being an image bearer and of being a worshiper. But as being different, we can pursue them in different ways. And each of us is created as an individual then, with those two big purposes in mind, but we always have our own individual purpose. And God's created us individually for an individual purpose. And mine looks different from yours, and yours looks different from yours, and yours looks different from yours. If you go to some verses that we read last week, Psalm 119, verses 14 and 15, it says this, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. And that's interesting. That's not what we're hearing in society today, right? You know, God says, the Bible says, life starts way before even birth. But you knit me together in my inmost being, in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. But it talks about being knit together. The idea there is crafted. And that God's an artisan who's sitting down with whatever the craft is, whether it's painting or pottery or, or glass blowing or whatever like that. But he crafts each of us before we're even born with a specific purpose because we have a special part to play in the story. Isn't that cool? That this whole story of the world and this whole story of God's involvement of the world, which includes billions and billions of people, each of us has a unique role to play in that story. And as we play that role, the way that we're created to play that role, we're going to experience this idea of soul sinking. Soren Kierkegaard said it this way, At each man's birth, 
There comes into being an eternal vocation or an eternal calling for him, expressly for him. To be true to himself in relationship to this eternal calling is the highest thing that a man can practice. Or in other words, God made you to be you. And the more that you line up with who God made you to be, the healthier your soul will be. Let me say that again. God made you to be you, and the more that you line up with who God made you to be, the healthier your soul will be. And when you don't, we're going to start to feel this idea of dissonance or disconnection. The more in sync we are with the God who made us, and the more in sync we are with who God made us to be, the less dissonance, the less uneasiness, the less discomfort we are going to experience in our soul. But when I start talking about this, it gets us a little bit freaked out because most of us aren't exactly sure who we are. I mean, we kind of know. Who are you? I mean, you can give me your name and you can give me some a few details about yourself, you know, height and weight, and, and uh, you can tell me where you live. But but we only, we sometimes have this vague sense of really, who am I? And so that's the question as is, is, is we move on here this morning, transition, that I want to explore is who exactly are you because if you can start to get a handle on who you are and who God made you to be, that may help you experience more of this peace and rest and even fulfillment that we want in our soul. So when I talk about who am I, we have general ideas, right? You know, I'm, I'm good at math, or, or you might say I have an outgoing personality, or, or maybe you would say about yourself, I see the humor in things, or I have a nice singing voice, or I really enjoy flowers, or I have nice hair. I think that about myself often. Um, you know, I'm pretty athletic, or I'm a night owl. We, we have these kind of surface ideas of who we are. Sometimes we get down a level, and we say, well, I care about justice issues, or I love to create things, or I'm pretty sensitive, or maybe I have a short fuse, or I'm a little bit of a people pleaser, or I know I tend to procrastinate, or I really like to be in charge, and that's like a different level down. But if I asked you, who are you really today, what would you say? Because as you can start to identify who you are as God made you to be, then you can start to experience a little bit more fulfillment and rest in your soul. So how much do you really know yourself? And does it really matter? Well, yeah, it matters. Because self-knowledge can lead to soul health. And as I start to understand who I am, then I realize that certain things that I do may not match up with who I am, and that's causing some friction or some dissonance in my story. Self-knowledge can actually lead to spiritual growth. Because sometimes I look at myself and say, I don't like what I'm seeing there. And that needs to change. And so that leads to some spiritual growth. It leads to better relationships. You know, most of our, or I don't know most, but a lot of our relational friction comes because I'm not monitoring who I am. And so all the stuff that's kind of going on in here, I just kind of spill it out on everybody around me. So it can make your relationships better. But here's what's interesting. Self-knowledge can actually lead to God-knowledge. Because we're made in God's image, as we learn a little bit about ourselves, we can actually learn a little bit about God. And, vice versa, as we learn about God, that should tell us a little bit about ourselves as well. I like this quote by Pete Scazzaro in his book, Emotional, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Good book to get and read if you're interested in these uh, soul issues. 
But he says this, we, or says the vast majority of us go to our graves without knowing who we are. We unconsciously live somebody else's life, or at least somebody else's expectations for us. And this does violence to our souls, to our relationships, to our relationship with God, ultimately to other people. And he makes an interesting point here, though, that when we don't get a handle on who we are, we actually put our soul at risk. And we make decisions that are going to be unhealthy for us, and we go down paths that are going to lead us to frustration rather than fulfillment. See, there's at least six of you. Yeah, you. There's the you that you are. There's the you that you think you are. There's the you that you wish you were. There's the you that others think you are. There's the you that you think that others think that you are. And then there's the you that God made you to be. No wonder you're confused, right? When you're trying to keep track of that many people. But the you that you are and the you that God made you to be, those are the two that we really want to hone in on. Because if I can get a better handle on the who that I am and the who that God made me to be, then I can start to take steps where we can bring synchronization, right? So let's look at a Bible example of a person who I think had a pretty good handle on who he was. And his story shows up uh, in the Old Testament in many places, but we want to specifically look at 1 Samuel 17. It's the story of David and Goliath. And we're familiar with this story, but I don't want to tell the whole story. I just want to find a piece in the middle and explore this person of David. In verse number uh, 26 of 1 Samuel 17, David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? They repeated to him what had been... They've been saying and told him, this is what will be done for the man who kills him. And when Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at David and asked, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the desert? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down here only to watch the battle. Nice brother there, right? And David said, well, what have I done? Can't I even speak? And then he turned to somebody else and he brought up the same matter. And the men answered him as before. And what David said was overheard and reported to Saul, and Saul sent for him. And David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight for him. Saul replied, you're not going to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a boy. He's been fighting from his youth. And David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. And when it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, and I struck it, and I killed it. That's a pretty awesome story, isn't it? Like when you killed the lion with your bare hand. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion, the paw of the bear, will deliver me from this Philistine. So Saul said to David, okay, go, the Lord be with you. And then he did this. Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. 
And David fastened on the sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. And he finally looks at Saul and he said, uh-uh. This is the wood translation. This isn't going to work. This isn't who I am. He says, I can't go in these. I'm not used to them. And he took them off. Then he took the staff in his hand and he chose five smooth stones from the stream and put them in the pouch of the shepherd's bag. And with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. Now let me give you some just observations from this story that I think will be helpful to us as we explore this idea of identifying who we are. First of all, when you, excuse me, who you are is not determined by what other people think of you or what they say about you. And we have a tendency to listen to the input of other people and they tell us things and we're like, oh, okay, yeah. And a lot of times they tell us things that match up with who they are, but they're not us. We need to be us because God made us to be us. So you you can somewhat tune out their opinions. Now, self-awareness means that we need to be cognizant of how we're affecting people around us. But other people don't give you your value, and other people don't really identify you. They might have some insights, but be careful with that one. His brother, Saul, they weren't particularly helpful to David. Secondly here, looking to your past, though, is a good way to learn about who you are. And David says, hey, you know I can't, you think I can't do this, but yeah, I can do this. Why? Because I've taken on a lion before, I've taken on a bear before, you know, and they're way more agile and fierce than this guy is. And he looked back to his past and said, oh, this tells me a little bit about myself. And he could see life experiences. He could see successes. He could even see, and we can see, how David saw the world. David was a justice person. Do you get that? And the fact that Goliath was standing there thumbing his nose at God and the Israelite, David was like, no, 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 this isn't right. And the fact that a lion comes to try to get sheep is like, no, 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 this isn't right. In fact, even when a story goes bad, what does Nathan come and do? He, he appeals to David's sense of justice. But we learn these things sometimes when we look back. So look at your story. What do you see about your past? How, what experience you've had, how you've responded to them, what you thought about them. And it starts to give us some insight of who we are. Number three here. Self-trust is never the goal. Nor is self-love, which is really self-worship. In other words... We're not, I'm not encouraging you to look at yourself so you can say, wow, yeah, that's pretty impressive, isn't it? Look at me, everybody. Okay, that's not the point. And the point isn't to say, well, I've really got these gifts or these skills or these abilities or talents or whatever like that. Yeah. Okay, that's not the goal at all. Self-trust leads to arrogance and self-trust will eventually lead to failure. We're looking at self-awareness here and self-knowledge. And we need to identify some of these things about us, but we need to know the whole picture too. Because I'm not just looking to find the strengths that I have, I'm also going to identify some of the weaknesses that I have too. And by the way, sometimes our strengths and our weaknesses kind of live next door to each other. And we can easily move from strength to weakness without even realizing it. But the goal is never Self-trust. Remember, we're worshiping image bearers, so the focus always goes back to God. You'll never be in soul sync wearing someone else's armor. Sometimes we look at other people and think, oh, I could just be like that person. Don't. 
You're not that person. I mean, you know, sometimes like, like I grew up, my brother was a great athlete. I look at him like, man, I wish I could be an athlete like Rick. Guess what? I never was, never will be. I used to think, I used to think that, you know, maybe he'd get old first and then I'd be better than he was. My brother's like 60 something now and he's still playing basketball three mornings a week with the college boys down at the gym. He complained to me the other day, you know, that uh, they don't pass him the ball very much anymore. And I was like, well, now you know what it was like to play with you when we were young, okay? So, um, but I'm not him. And I'm me. And, and sometimes we do that. We look at somebody else and, and we want to be a different self. Now, we need to aspire to growth and to being what God wants us to be. But that's you, not somebody else. And we have to come to terms with who we are. Now, I say that. That's not to make excuse to say, well, that's just the way that I am. I really hate it when I hear somebody say that, or that's just the way that he is. Okay, is it the way God wants you to be, or is it the way that God wants him to be? If it's not, that's not a good enough thing, okay? That means that the you that I am is out of sync with the you that God wants me to be. So let's not go there, but let's understand that we will never be in sync unless we are being who God made us to be. This is a nicer way to say it, right? You'll never be in soul sync trying to be who you are not. And then this, knowing who you are and identifying your purpose will lead you back towards soul wholeness. And we need to pay attention to these things in our life, okay? To get it really down on a very basic level, we need to realize who we are and then how we act in according to who we are may actually lead to dissonance. All right, for instance, if you really have problems with stage fright and you get tongue-tied in front of crowds, you probably don't want to be the MC at your brother's wedding, okay, or the reception, because it's not going to go well for you. You know, if if you are a morning person, scheduling lots of meetings in the late afternoon and evening is not going to work well for you. If you're an introvert, I probably wouldn't recommend that you run down to, and, and try to find a sales job. It's going to be uncomfortable. Okay, Does that illustrate a little bit of what we're talking about here? When we start to know who we are, then we can make adjustments in how we live our lives. And sometimes we cause ourselves our own problems because we don't stop long enough to say, okay, who exactly am I? So, how do we do that? Let me just throw out some really simple ideas, and you can do whatever you want with them. You can pull out these personality tests. You know, they have the DISC, and they have the Myers-Briggs. Um, the Myers-Briggs, I'm an INTJ. Anybody else that? Probably not. It's like the rarest thing. We did this in college one time, and they had us, there's 16 different types, and then they had us all go stand with our groups. And there I was, standing by myself in the corner. Okay, you can do those types of things. There's something out there that's been out there like forever. I mean, like hundreds and hundreds of years called the Enneagram, which is very, very interesting. Um, Check them out. They're going to tell you some things about yourself. Rick Warren talks about shape in his church, and they use it when they're actually trying to plug people into ministry roles. But there's elements of that that could be really helpful to you. He's saying, ask what your spiritual gifts are. Remember, we're spiritual people. Okay, so, um, you know, what is your heart? What are you passionate about? 
I mean, David, I already mentioned, was pretty passionate about justice issues. You know, what are your abilities? What can you do? Maybe you're artistic. Maybe you can organize. Maybe you're athletic. Maybe you're like one of those people that just can encourage people. Maybe you're somebody who just make people laugh. I don't know, okay? David was pretty good with a slingshot, though. Also with a harp. I don't think that had anything to do with the story of Goliath. But what are those things? What are those abilities that you have? How about your personality? How are you wired? David, he was an action guy. You know, some of us are more like, let's stop and think about that, okay? Let's, you know, if Goliath does this, what will we do in that case? And, and if he does this, what will be our plan over here? David's like, let's just go and we'll figure it out on the way, okay? Who are you? Experiences. David had the bear and the lion. But what experiences have you had? What have you loved to do? What have you loathed doing? These things tell us about ourselves. Max Lucado uses a story acronym. What are your strengths? What are your topics, the things you really enjoy? What are your optimal conditions? What is it that really gets you motivated? What are your relationships? What is the yes of your life? What is the thing that when you do, you're like, yeah, that's me? Or that you come out of it energized and enthused rather than like, oh, that was horrible. How many times do we do that? Oh, that was awful. Why? Why are we doing those things? So, there's other ways that you can do this too. Pete Scazzaro suggests that you ask these questions. What makes you angry? What makes you sad? What makes you anxious? What makes you glad? And through these emotions, you can find a lot of revealing things. But let me encourage you to take some time to do some inventory. Because as I start to understand who I am, how I'm wired up, what I prefer, what I don't like, all these different things, it helps me make decisions and choices in my life. And when I can make choices in accord with who God made me to be, that's when we start to sync up. So don't be stressed by the process, okay? Just have some fun with it or just kind of observe as you go along. It doesn't have to be some big thing where you get, you know, spend the next, you know, 20 years trying to figure out who you are. That's not the point. Just be aware of what's going on. But at the same time, don't walk away from here this morning without taking some time for reflection to say, okay, what am I doing that's maybe causing a little bit of this unrest inside of me? Don't, inside of me. Don't use this as an excuse to be less than you can be. Just do this. Ask God to reveal himself, because you're made in God's image, and ask God to reveal things about you that would be helpful for you to know so that you could address some of these areas in your life where you may be causing your own dissonance because you're not matching up with who you're supposed to be. If you're feeling restless or antsy or whatever this morning, you might try to identify what it is that's causing it. And maybe it's because you don't have a relationship with God, and that's the core issue. Maybe you do have a relationship with God, and you're not doing what's right. Maybe you got some things to take care of there. Maybe you're trying to do what's right, and you're not aware of any big sin issues, but you're just in areas that don't fit you. And maybe you just need to say goodbye or so long or, or make some adjustments to the, some of those things. But what do you need to do to get the God, or excuse me, to get the me that God made you to be and the you that you are to be the same thing?